So digital currency has the backing and the legal standing that says that you can pay debts with it. Where a cryptocurrency, you might have just gotten cryptocurrency out of one place to pay another place back. And in that movement, they may have changed their mind as to whether or not they take Bitcoin. So cryptocurrencies as a currency are not currencies. This is part of the confusion. They are tokens. They are things with collectible value that other people like to collect them and sometimes use them to buy things from other people that collect them. Once more onto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another, at least semi-sorta quasi-exciting episode of the Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about such things as digital. Uh, digital versus crypto cryptocurrencies. Yes, and other things like inflation and exciting things that you can talk to your kids about, like supply and demand i'm trying to make it exciting it's just well no we're going to talk about sports today oh you're going to talk about sports i'm i mean I've, i'm gonna the kansas city chiefs won a football game i i didn't even know they were a football team i know you didn't and i didn't either until i read it but it's well actually i did know because i went to college right outside kansas city so you did know that they were a football team yeah and i used to work at a radio station and i was the guy who sat there and played the commercials when they had broadcast. Okay, so we're going to talk about sports. So fair warning, we're going to give some disclosures in advance. But number one disclosure is that um, we know very little about sports and we're going to talk about them this hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Which, <clears throat> which is a lot of what we do is we talk an awful lot about something we don't know a lot about because even no. though in my case... For 40 years, I have been studying a subject. I've concluded that the more I study it, the less I know about it. Right, which is the very good expert qualification is when you've been studying it a long time and still you, you say you've got a lot more to know than you will ever know about it, it means you're an expert. If I you say, I got, it, I got this, this is easy, I, I understand this subject, that means you are not an expert. <laughs> I know... The more you study on something like that, the more you're aware that you don't know. And the problem is that what I'm learning, what I learn over the years is arithmetic. It adds up. However, what I become aware of that I don't know is exponential. Uh, is exponential. It's multiplying so that when I finally die, I will drown in a sea of ignorance. You got a life raft or something? At least take like an encyclopedia as a life raft. It, it will Wikipedia. help. Wikipedia. Wikipedia helps on your smartphone. Yes. Yeah. So this is the personal wealth coach. And we actually do have some real disclosures to give in advance. Number one yeah. is that the, the personal wealth coach is not just the name of this radio program. It is also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. And the people that it are is? talking on it, on the program, are the principals of that firm. So having said that, what does it mean? Well, fiduciary advice is given through an investment advisory firm. And you can't do that on the radio. It'd be really nice if you could, but it would have to be a radio with just one listener because privacy issues are important. 
You don't um, have to be encrypted too. Yes, encrypted and and all that good stuff. So what we're giving on the radio is not fiduciary investment advice. It's education. Uh, we're going to talk about what things mean and how things fit in our economy and what we should be looking for as far as what's what's got growth potential and what doesn't as far as the economy goes. We'll talk about investing and some principles of all that good stuff, but this is not investment advice. It's education. Not only that, we don't pay for the radio program, but we don't get paid for the radio program. So this is not paid commercial advertisement. We've been looped into this. I've been doing this for 24 years now on the radio, and you've been doing it for 25, maybe 26. You found a tape from 1996. Yeah. Um, so... 24 and combined about half a century on the radio talking about investments in a non-paid capacity. We're trying to help people, I hope. <laughs> I really hope this is helping people. I really, really do. Uh, but you've got some other stuff. You want to tell us some more? Oh, I can do my favorite one. My favorite one. Um, the information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. There. Good. And I missed something from the last disclosure. We do advertise on KTEM, which is the yeah. radio program, is on that. But we advertise strictly for the radio program. And so does KTEM advertise for the radio program. That's correct. So it, we are looking at this very definitely as an education opportunity. What you're trying to say is, Senator, there was no quid pro quo. Correct. Senator, it sounds so much better in pig Latin. Um, Senator, there was no ivory bay. Bribery. Oh, see, oh, you see what I did? It's, it's like a direct translation of quid pro quo. It's like, that's what you want to say when you don't want to have bribery labeled over your conversation. It wasn't quid pro quo. Okay. I wasn't being paid to do a thing I wasn't supposed to do. Oh. Yes. Well, what we're saying is there's no bribery or quid pro quo in our radio program. And if you disbelieve, we'll pay you in Reese's peanut butter cups to get you to shut up. Oh, wait a minute. Ah. Id quay, opray. Are you pig? You just made Latin into pig Latin? Yes, I did. Oh, my. Yes, you are telling the whole world who we are. You're, there's not going to be a surprise in any of you that are listening when we go into the drivel that we normally talk about, about economics. So you have been warned. We've already begun with pig Latin on Latin. Latin. Right. Uh, oh, we've got another question. Uh, Inquisitor John says, jewelry excluded is, is more silver used now in products than gold or vice versa. What about the future? And What about the future? Um, well, that's actually an easy answer. Yes, there's more silver being used than gold. Lots more. In, in lots and lots of areas. Silver is a very good electronic metal, and there's more of it. So it's easier to acquire. Um, gold is much more pure. It's very noble. So it can be used in electronics for very specific purposes, but there's less of it, which means people use less of it. Um, I don't want like to belittle like the question because it, it is a good question, but that's really what it comes down to. What is there more of? What is more expensive? And even if you're just buying, you know, the same dollar amount of it, you're going to use a lot more silver than gold. Gold is used a lot in electronics. Yeah. About 20% of the gold that's manufactured every year, manufactured, drawn out of the ground and so on. Every refined year, and so on. Refined. 
goes into industrial use, but about 56% of the silver that enters the market freshly every year goes into industrial use. Uh, silver is used much, 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 much more in industrial use than gold is. Because uh, it's cheaper. Is, it's, it's, it's also cheaper. a really good metal for a lot of electronics. Yeah, and, and so and the other thing about silver, it's a fascinating thing when you look at it. Silver is running about, uh, gold is about 80 times silver's value, roughly, right now. And back when we were on the gold standard, it was set, gold was set at 35 times gold's value. Your gold, is, silver's value, yeah. Silver's value, uh, which is one of the reasons going on the gold standard doesn't work, because they seesaw back and forth between each other. But it's a fascinating area. Uh, one of the reasons the price of silver went down so much is we stopped using silver in coins because the silver and coins started to be worth more than the coins were. Right. People were melting the coins down. And as a result, once we went off silver around the world, silver was dropped out of coins. And as a result, the governments sold off their huge reserves of silver, which is why silver prices dropped dramatically to the point where the silver mines shut down in the Western United States and so on. But also why so much silver is used in, for industrial purposes because mm -hmm. when it was more expensive, it was used very, very little. And when it became cheaper, a lot of the science that said, hey, silver is really good for these things that people said, well, that's great, but <laughs> I'm not going to pave my toilet in gold. Uh, I'm not Saddam Hussein. That may be great for electronics, but uh, the cost is a little staggering. Well, with the yep. price drop, it's been used a lot more in industrial manufacturing. Mm -hmm. um, just as a side note, you've got silver in the glass of your smartphone, almost without a doubt. Yep. Uh, there's lots of reasons where silver fuses with other things better than gold does. Gold's not good at fusing it thing with things except for gold because it's very noble. <laughs> yes. And we have a question from Gary. What's the difference between a digital currency and a cryptocurrency from the consumer user's point of or perspective? That is a, an extremely short question, by the way, and it encompasses a massive amount of confusion in the world. Do you want to handle it or do you want me to jump in on this one? I can start it, but you, you, you've got the... You, sometimes when you're talking about it, I don't even understand it. So you uh, I have expert tease. These T's yes, will do. do all kinds of things for me. Um, cryptocurrencies are peer-to-peer. -peer. They surge around on the open market. They're very poorly understood. That's why they're called crypto. Uh, they're secretive. They, Even though there's something called stable coins that are technically cryptocurrencies, they're really not the same thing at all. And uh, cryptocurrencies are a mystery and... Uh, an amazing thing to speculate on and are in essence gambling. Digital currency simply means we take a lot of your currency is already digital. Uh, when you slide your credit card or punch a little chip in, it's digital dollars that you pay with digital currency that the, that, that the federal reserve is talking about. And other people are talking about right now simply means taking our currency and changing it from an analog dollar that's floating around and nobody knows where it came from or where it went. The actual dollar bill is about halfway to digital now because if you pull out a dollar bill and look at it, it has a serial number on it. It is an identifiable item, and there can't be two of those, theoretically. It's non-fungible. The other side of digital currency is, though, and this is what makes people nervous, 
is once the Federal Reserve establishes a digital currency, they literally will know where all the money is all the time. So you can't hide money anymore, and that scares some people. Anyway, that's that, yeah. and, and Jake knows more about this than I do by far. Okay. We're going to start with digital currency because I think it's a thing that everybody can easily understand with a very short amount of effort. Uh, digital currency is already happening every single time. Um, every single time you do anything at your bank, even if it's withdrawing dollars in paper form, they're allocating the digital money and saying this digital money no longer exists because it came out as paper. So if you go to the bank and you make a withdrawal into cash, they literally delete digital money to give you paper money. It's kind of a transfer process because the digital aspect of it has to be identifiable. And if you think of it like sheep, it's a lot easier to think about than as money. If a farmer or a sheep, a sheep herder, a shepherd is standing out and he's got flocks of sheep and he's got sheep in different pens, a lot of times they use ear tags or colored markers on the wool to differentiate what's happened to each sheep, whether that sheep is pregnant, whether that sheep has been bred or attempted to be bred, the name and identifier of that sheep. So there's a lot of data that follows each sheep around. At a bank, they do the same thing with your money, only it's totally inside that bank. As soon as you go to another bank, they don't have any more reference of where that money came from or what it was for because they don't need it. They know it came from that other bank. But that's one of the reasons why when you transfer a large amount of money, it may sit in your bank a few weeks before you can touch it because the bank that received it is verifying that the other bank actually had it. There's no universal way to say this is real money coming from that other bank. It's not a, a bouncing check. Uh, the digitization of the dollar across the spectrum would take that confusion completely away because each dollar is known, each dollar's history. They could track a dollar back to every one of its owners back however long it needs to go. And this is that's the fear that you were talking about before. The, the Federal Reserve will be able to tell exactly where that money was and where it's being held as long as it's digital. Okay, cryptocurrency, on the other hand, isn't really a currency. It is a token that very much like a Chuck E. Cheese token or a game token, a, a chip given at a casino. It's not really a currency because you can only trade it at the places that issue that stuff. Where a real currency, you can trade it with people that aren't issuing it. They don't have, I mean, uh, this, this, uh, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private, is written on a dollar. You don't have to take a Bitcoin for a debt repayment. If a bank makes you a loan and you bring it U.S. government dollars to pay it back, they have to take it. If you bring them Bitcoins, they could say, no, I realize the value is high, but no, I don't want that. You give me dollars. So digital currency has the backing and the legal standing that says that you can pay debts with it. Where a cryptocurrency, you might have just gotten cryptocurrency out of one place to pay another place back. And in that movement, 
they may have changed their mind as to whether or not they take Bitcoin. So cryptocurrencies as a currency are not currencies. This is part of the confusion. They are tokens. They are things with collectible value that other people like to collect them and sometimes use them to buy things from other people that collect them. You know, the easiest way for me to understand cryptocurrency is it's kind of like cows. Well, we're going from sheep to cows now? They just got yeah, bigger. Well, I'm, well, you can go sheep or cows either Steak one. is better than mutton, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm okay with this transfer. But Let's go ahead. They've, they've got ear tags. Right. I mean, cattle today and, and sheep today are tagged, and they know exactly where it, they have to know where it came from, how it was born, uh, what, what rancher or farmer had it at this point, what had it next, because we want to track the meat back to its origin if something goes wrong. And if you use sheep, and people have, as currency, which you can do. You can also use chickens, only they're not very digital. Um, the price of the sheep goes up and down. The sheep can disappear. Uh, there's lots of things that would make that made sheep a very poor currency, which is why we went to things like dollars and fiat currencies. Yeah, I wanted to throw one other thing in here, and it generally fries people mind, minds people's minds when we say this. The government does not create money. The treasury does not create money. Banks create money. And I'll, I'll give you a very simple example of how that works. If you have a $10,000 CD at the bank, you've loaned the bank $10,000 so that you have $10,000 on your books that it's at the bank, but it's, it's money that you have the opportunity to take out of the bank and spend. The bank doesn't just hold on to your $10,000 and pay you a minuscule amount of interest on it. The bank turns around and loans that most of that money out. Now, they can actually loan over 80% of it out. But let's just say they make a $5,000 loan to somebody else. And the somebody else takes the $5,000. Now, you've still got your $10,000. You, you've got it right there. You've got a certificate of deposit that says, I've got $10,000. It's on your books. But they just loaned out $5,000, the bank did. And that person takes the $5,000 and goes and spends it. Well, it shows up on somebody else's book. So now where there was $10,000, there's $15,000. The bank just created $5,000. Now, there's some complexities to this and some accounting issues to this. But the bottom line to it is there was $10,000 that you had on your books. That you can use as now collateral for something? Right. And you can draw it out. And there's now another $5,000 in circulation. Banks create money. And the problem with banks creating money is that the Federal Reserve doesn't know precisely how much money they just created and we're trying to control the money supply. And it's work a lot better if the bank had to tag that $5,000 digitally that they just created so that the Federal Reserve would know it was there and the IRS would know it was there and we'd all know it was there and where it's going and what's happening. With it. By the way, digital currency would probably pretty much eliminate money laundering and would go a long ways towards balancing the budget. Yeah. So all of those are good things. If we go back to like a real quick different time period, the, the ending of the Great Recession, why didn't we have runaway inflation when we had interest rates drop so far down, we had big stimulus spending? Back then, why didn't we have inflation like what we're experiencing now? We've got a spike in inflation that's just really big. And, and when we look at inflation, we don't see it occurring back then. Even though we had this massive governmental intervention, we had the Federal Reserve dumping money into the economy. 
interest rates were dirt, dirt cheap. Why didn't we have inflation? And the answer is because the same thing that creates money in making that loan, say you've got 10000 in the CD and then you loaned out 5000 well, what if the 5000 doesn't get paid back? Well, then you got rid of that second 5000 and half of the first 10000 So you can lose money at double the rate that you make money if you're making bad loans. This is more than double the rate. So those are, those are important pieces. And the important thing about that disappearance of $5,000 in our example, that $5,000 just flat went away and it's gone. It evaporated. So what happened in the Great Recession, and by the way, also what happened in 2020, is a lot of money that was there suddenly ceased to be there. Because people stopped paying debts and stopped paying mortgages and stopped paying all the things that this is supposed to create money, the reverse is destroying money. And for those of you who are conservatives and like Milton Friedman, and those of you who are liberals and you like John Maynard Keynes, uh, they both agreed on this point, that in a time when money is being disappeared, if you will, being deleted by, a, by an economic catastrophe, it is totally appropriate for the government, well, specifically the Federal Reserve Bank or the Congress, to borrow money. By the way, borrowing money creates money and throw it into the economy. Matter of fact, Ben Bernanke was the one who wrote the, the, the landmark paper on it. And he said it doesn't make any difference how you get the money out there. You could drop it from helicopters as long as the money gets into the economy. And he's after that called Helicopter Ben. But we have another question regarding the conversation we had last week about fracking and, and oil coming out of the rock by shooting acid into it and then refining it out. Uh, and talking about how that can cause earthquakes and there's other issues. We've got a, a question from Alan. Uh, it says, uh, Jeff, Jake, reference last week's fracking discussion. I have a few rancher friends who swear that fracking, the acid, is going to get into the water table, thus destroying the environment. I find that hard to believe. Could you comment? Uh, yes. Without careful protections, it does get into the environment. It isn't a question, actually. It's happened in all around Fort Worth, and you can look that up yourself. All around Fort Worth, there's been a lot of fracking in that area. The Eagle Ford Shale area, uh, if, if you're not careful... so let, let me give you an example of why it is that this is happening. Um, there's places where the water table for your, for your well and maybe the aqueduct for the entire city in the region's water is above the layer that you're getting the oil out of. And just like any other plumbing issue, if you push a pipe down through an aqueduct to get it down into a deeper level to get oil out, and then there's a leak in the pipe, or the pipe isn't sealed properly. Yes, absolutely, you can get it into the groundwater, into the, into the water table. There's lots and lots and lots of places where it's already happened. In Texas, we've been really good at preventing it. This is something a lot of people that are not from Texas get shocked by. The environmental controls in Texas are actually quite good because most of the vast majority of the land in Texas is privately owned. If you look at the percentage of land, private ownership, Texas is the highest percentage of any state in the country for private land ownership. It's also the second largest state, which means environmental protections are property rights protections. That your neighbor 
can't be fracking and messing up your water. Uh, and you can't put a dam on the stream before it gets to your property and divert it to somebody else's property. Those are all rules that were set up over a long period of time that are excellent. So easy answer is yes, that acid can get into the, into the water table. It does get into the water table. There's lots of places where it already has. It's relatively easy to fix early on. It's harder to fix the longer it goes on. And, and like I said, Texas has been at the forefront of making sure that we don't have damage to the water table. It's just like Alaska. If you go up to mine gold in Alaska and you're dumping dirt back into the water, they're going to shut you down. And Alaska and Texas are pretty conservative places. And what does conservative mean? Oh, conserve? Yep, we even look at our natural resources in a conservative way. So, yeah. One of the reasons that Texas has done so well in this, in my opinion, is the thing we kind of joked about last week when we said that the Texas Railroad Commission doesn't regulate railroads, but it does re regulate oil drilling. Right. They are elected people on the Texas Railroad Commission, and there are a lot more people who don't drill for oil than there are people who do drill for oil. So in order to get reelected, they have to take into account the fact that they do not want to infringe upon the rights of the people who are voting for them. So the Texas Railroad Commission has been pretty stout about keeping fracking out of the water tables. Generally speaking, and this is a Texas oil is deep, relatively speaking, particularly in West Texas where the fracking is going on. And there are places in the country, including East Texas and up in Oklahoma, where oil is shallow. Oil isn't very far down. I mean, it's we used to drill, people drilling for water would accidentally hit oil in the early days. And so it's real easy under those circumstances to get uh, fracking materials in the water. But l let me tell you the other side of that. One of the things we had to fight, and there was a lot of noise about it until recently at least, is the fact that where the fracking is going on, there is oil. And the oil getting into the water is a problem. Um, happened in McCurtain County, Oklahoma when I was a kid. It, so yeah. oil and or fracking juice getting into the water, it, it's not fracking that's the real problem. Do the real problem is when that pipe goes, when that drill bit goes down through the rock, is it possible for the oil under pressure or the fracking uh, juice under pressure to come back up around the pipe and get into a higher level water system. And that's where we, there's the, the cement that they're supposed to be pumping down there to keep that from happening. And hopefully they do that. And it's pretty strongly enforced in Texas. Yeah. So all, all we're saying there is that uh, Texas is a very large supporter of natural resource production. It may be one of the top. It's, it is the top when it comes to uh, fossil fuels. It, as far as the nation goes, there's nobody even close. The way you do that over a long period of time and continue to do it without destroying yourself is you recognize you got to keep yourself clean as you go along. Oklahoma is a different experiment. And you can look at the number of earthquakes up there and you can look at the news, local news, but news of water table issues. You can find that in Texas. Just do a Google search for Keene, Texas, Arlington, Texas, fracking and water table. And you're going to find lots of the local ordinance changes because people can't drink their water. And boil water notices don't work in these instances, by the way. Boiling doesn't get the acid out of the water. 
So the companies involved have been on the hook to fix it because of state laws in the state of Texas that says, hey, you did the damage, you got to fix it. So they're fixing the roads in the vicinity. They get ripped up from the trucks and they're fixing the groundwater and water table issues because they're not supposed to be dumping stuff in the water table. So yeah, it can happen. And uh, the good news is that there's really, really good tools in Texas to fight back against it if it's affecting your water. Uh, Other places look at it as a very different way than Texas. Texas looks much more at the individual property rights of the person that owns the land rather than a corporate property rights in a larger scale. And I I tend to like that about Texas. And we're about out of time. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail waiting during the weekend, real live people during the week, locally at 254-947-1111 or toll free at 1-800-914-7526. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can Sign up for our newsletter there, read about our philosophy, read our newsletter. You can listen to recordings of the radio program, but you can go anywhere for that as well. Any place that offers podcasts, we are there. Look for the Personal Wealth Coach or TPWC. Uh, And email us directly at jeff or jake at tpwc.com.